Hey everyone, and welcome again. Also to those of you who are are uh, watching uh, or participating from from uh, space different from uh, right here. Uh, we are, as you all know, as most of you at least know, in in a uh, in a season of of. Uh, Emphasis on life together, and we have highlighted that, and I hope everybody feels that that's what we are aiming at, seeing increasing and, and occurring more and more a deep sense of belonging, a deep sense of, of we are here uh, to do life together in the name of Jesus. And so as a subsection of that, we've had a number of those. Uh, we are this month here uh, focusing in on the issue of giving. And the, uh, the specific kind of reason right now uh, about giving to God's purposes, of course, arise uh, from, from the emphasis we have on the various mission giving and not the least on the harvest giving that I just mentioned uh, a moment ago. And, and I trust and I, I hope that you're aware that harvest, and I, I need to not kind of get off on that, uh, because, you know, we, we struggle with this in the city, yes? Some people kind of think that, you know, food grows on shelves. Um, but, you know, you, you're around the globe, really, in Baptist churches and in many other, of course, denominations around, there's a special emphasis in during the harvest time on the grace and the goodness of God and the expression of that. Many places, and many places I've been uh, over the, the, the years would have had the specific kind of exhibitions of crops and farmers and others have brought uh, to church and kind of to help us all express um, that graciousness from God. And so when, when that is said, uh, I want us to kind of pay attention to what we also mentioned last time and what we <clears throat> see, <clears throat> as I've said, in, in a number of, of uh, situations before that, that when Christians give and when Scripture emphasizes the importance of giving, it is never, ever just for the purpose of paying bills. That, that, is, that is constructed wrongly if we look at it this way. It is always, and I don't mind repeating this, it is always about expressing our gratitude to God for His grace in our life. And, and many, many people can can uh, witness to that. And if that is not a part of your witness already, it can become so. Try to live into that. Try to kind of lean into God's promises in obedience to what he's called you to do. And you will see very quickly that even issues of finances will become part of your testimony because his grace and his blessing just overflow into all aspects of life. So, so when we talk about giving, uh, we are not just talking about concrete monetary things. This is a matter also of spiritual relationship to Christ. It is written straight into uh, the very covenant that God has made with his people. And as I already mentioned, when, when John is summarizing what God is about, that comes on the first line. God so loved that he Gay. And so with that in mind, I want us to kind of look at that. Paul 
uh, as we read uh, from his text also last week, a chapter earlier than this, in the second letter he writes that we have uh, to the church in Corinth. He is, he is now expanding uh, his teaching on this to show that it is not just about specific uh, things that relate to a collection, but this is about all of life. So he theologizes the very thing, if you will. He shows us how this matter of giving impacts every aspect of our existence. So if you have your Bibles, or if you don't, you can follow along on the screen. Uh, I encourage you to read with me. The good thing about having the actual physical Bible is that you can take a little note on the side. You can, you can do some things there. We also have room for that, of course, in the worship guide. The point is this, Paul says, after you just talked to him about the importance of giving. The point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reach, uh, reap generously. The person who do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it is written, he distributed freely, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now the one who provides seed for the soul and bread for, uh, bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all generosity which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the ministry of his service, of this service, is not only supplying the need of the saint, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the proof provided uh, by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedient confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone. And as they pray on your behalf, they will have deep affection for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now take a look, friends, at this text. The background, of course, as I already mentioned, is this specific collection that Paul is taking among the churches very different places in the world for the church in Jerusalem. And so now he's broadened his discussion into a theological kind of deliberation, if you will. And he's saying here, bringing our focus or moving our attention, if you will, to a farmer. He's kind of conjuring up an image in our mind, and I trust that that will come up in your mind too. And he says, the laws of harvest are not just for real on the natural level, they are for real also at the spiritual level. This is how it works. He said, just like, like a farmer knows that, that when he 
seeds his field in the spring, he can harvest in the fall. That is an unchangeable law. It, it works like that. It is what you sow will also be what you harvest. It's not complicated. Most of us recognize that. If you put seed in the, if you put wheat in the, in the ground, you know, you, you're expecting a harvest of wheat. A barley, it becomes a harvest of barley. Uh, corn, it becomes a harvest of corn. If you, you plant an apple tree, you anticipate apples. Yes? It's not complicated. That's kind of the image he wants us to have in our mind. And beyond that, any farmer will understand that there's a direct relationship between the amount that you sow and the amount that you harvest or reap. The one who sows sparingly, and the word here means in a meager manner, is an, is an adverb. It speaks to the manner in which you sow in the manner of being sparse, uh, in the manner where it's just a bare Minimum, if you will. And so you can anticipate to reap in the same way. Whereas if you, if you sow generously for the purpose of seeing blessings, so to speak, in fact, that word that is in, in this translation is translated generously means with the anticipation of blessings. It's kind of intriguing when you think about it that way. If you, you, you do the Greek, you'll see that becomes pretty clear. The switch with which he is kind of uh, reading, uh, writing, writing this or speaking this. It's an interesting thing to contemplate. In fact, can I say it this way? It's a very life-giving thing to notice the lessons that you can learn from an illustration like this. Let me try to give you a couple of, of, of uh, kind of illustrations for this, right? A, a, a farmer, just imagine this. He spends what he has, his fortune, to buy seed. That seed he just throws on the ground, on the dirt. You hear me? Trusting that that soil upon which it lands will bring the nourishment to these seeds that they will sprout and begin to grow and grow up fully and then bring a manifold harvest compared to what he has seeded. So that's a lot of trust to put in soil and in seeds. Yes? Just think of it just for, for a moment. When you think about this, he acted or she acted in faith. It's a true act of trust. There are no guarantees whatsoever, but still there's a clear realization that, that what was the vision from the beginning that would ha- what, about what would happen in the end is what carries the whole enterprise. And this is something that we can learn from, friends, spiritually. In your relationship, in your understanding of God's grace, this is how that works. 
If you decide, or if you desire, maybe I should say, that in your life there should be a fruitfulness. There should be something that leads to a manifold kind of harvest, if you will. You got to trust in the promises of God. You know, a more common word may be you need to bet on God's promises. And that's not true just of, about financial thing. That is true in every aspect that you know it. I, I'm convinced you know it. It's true about your family. It's, it's true about your kids. It's true about your relationships. It's true about faith. You got to trust in the promises of God by investing and leaning into the promises of God. There's no doubt in my life, not even for a second, that one of the reasons that we so often see kind of a small harvest is that it is so difficult. We feel maybe it's almost a little bit risky to trust fully in the truth of God's word. We know God says, but how do I know? And because that kind of doubt creeps up inside of us, we sow sparingly. And what happens when we sow sparingly? We harvest sparingly. There's a Danish, and I think I have mentioned that before because I just find it funny. It's just a great old proverb. It's an expression about people who are too cautious. Here goes the Danish thing, directly translated. Someone who's too cautious is to compare with someone who wears both a belt and suspenders. I didn't make it up. It existed hundreds of years before me, I'm just saying. Don't do that with the promises of God. The fruit will be there. Let me take it to our church situation. Just imagine, what are we thinking about the future of the church? If we see a vibrant church full of faith, full of eagerness, eager to reach to the community, to share the good life of God with everyone around, to reach out in various kinds of efforts and, and, and mission stuff and all that. If that's what we see for God's future right here, then let's sow that way right now. Yes? That's what this text is doing. I want, I want you to notice another thing. The farmer sows in the spring and harvest later in the year. That's a long time. That's just a long time to put your trust in dirt and seed, as I said. You know, one of my closest friends in the world, I grew up with, with him. Uh, so I may have mentioned him before. He's a forester. And, and we were just kind of young kids when he really started that. He kind of inherited that, that force in some ways, right? He grew up in, in that very place. And we were just kiddos. And this was like um, early 80s. And he just seeded this vast field, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of trees just planted, itty-bitty trees. And he walks out there and he says, Brevin, you know, I just spent... This long time placing all these trees. 
if I'm fortunate and the good Lord wills, they will be ready not too long after my retirement. That's a long time, friends, to put your trust in dirt and in trees. So how come? That we find it easier to trust earthly things sometimes than trust in the very promises of God. There's some kind of disconnect someplace in our mind. And what we're learning from Paul's illustration here is that very, very thing. Trust in God. And when you do, you will see that his blessings will flow. He's not saying what he is saying just for us to go, mm-hmm. He's saying what he's saying to say, live in my presence, trusting me, and your life will be filled with that blessing. That's where we see uh, the text here. Trust in God. And so the text is, is somewhat directly related to another text Paul uh, wrote in, in, uh, in Galatians. It's just a couple of of pages over, actually, um, in, in the Bible. And he says it like this. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Trust him, in other words. Right? Whatever a person sows, he will also reap, because the one who sows is, uh, to his flesh will reap, destru- reap destruction, and the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. This, dear friend, is the teaching of this particular text about giving. What you sow will become the point from which your life will flow C.S. Lewis, some of you know him. Many of you have probably read of him. I hope you have. If not, you should. You know, philosopher, uh, professor uh, of Oxford, England, wrote the one who wrote Mere Christianity. He says the only certain rule at this point is to give more than you can afford. That's exactly what happened to this, this little widow that Jesus describes in, in the Gospel of Mark um, when he says in chapter 12, here, look at her. She gave everything. So look at the text again, friends. Let me just kind of uh, notice here as you, you recognize how, how this text flows. And in and, and verse 7, in the very next verse, he's talking about how this makes you rich in joy. Investing in God's vision for his church will not only develop this fruitfulness that we just talked about, but, but joy. There's something about becoming joy-filled or, or even, how can we say it, uh, cheerful, which is the word that is used right here. We, we taught that this relates to this planned, deliberate, decided giving of God's uh, think back to God, if you will, that the, the gifts that you give are not haphazard. They're not 
coincidental. They're, they're part of your habitual thing. Now, listen to me. I, I'm not saying that, that you cannot suddenly be overwhelmed with warm emotion and, and you need to feel God is moving me right now. I'm getting the checkbook out. I'm writing a check for another hundred or another thousand dollars, whatever, out of emotion. That's great. That's fantastic. It's the same. I compare that to what happens when suddenly, you know, out of the blue for no apparent reason, you suddenly get overwhelmed by the love or your love for one of your kids, grandkids, your spouse, your friend, your whatever it is, a loved one. And, and for no apparent reason, you suddenly say, okay, today I'm going to bring home flowers. I'm going to buy chocolate. I'm going to do this very thing for my, my kiddos or whatever that might be. Those things are great. I hope you do them all the time. Some of you may need to do that with that to the one you sit next to, right? I hope that is true. But that never can replace the plan, deliberate, daily focus that are expressions of love and care. That's the heart that is full of gratitude. Are you hearing me here? That's what that is. It was always baffling to me when you think about these things. Some of you would have seen now, because it becomes news when, when Oprah Winfrey says anything, right? It's just how it is. I'm not sure why, but that's how it is. And so she, she connected with a researcher at Harvard University to write a book about joy. And they were interviewed the other day, uh, what is joy and all that. Of course, it's nothing like what we, we, we do, right? It, it's not about money. It's not about things. It's not about prestige. It's not about any of that kind of stuff that, that we like to kind of project wherever we project things. It's not that. So what is it? And in summary, all they could say was what we have known as Christians since Jesus was here, right? This is the last couple of millennia, even before that, for, for, for some matter, in certain areas of the Old Testament. That this is about purpose. This is about feeling that deep sense of I'm doing what God is supposed to do. It's about finding patterns in life, rhythms in life that express that kind of purpose, that kind of direction, that kind of higher calling. And I hear this and said, yeah, that's what I've known all the time. There's a much better book about that. Don't miss the power of this. There's a joy on giving in the way the text reads it here. God loves a cheerful giver. He looks at the heart. And that same Heavenly Father, listen to this, the same Heavenly Father about whom it says that when someone comes to Christ here, heaven rejoices. That's that same Heavenly Father who is saying, I love a joyful giver. That's how you know that he will add blessings to those who trust in him. How do you know? Because it says God loves a cheerful giver. But the text moves on and it talks about 
about also being rich in opportunity and usefulness. If you look at the next verses, just look at, at verse uh, 8 that I read that. I highlighted that a little bit. But it is almost incredible if you look at it. Just notice the number of every that is there. God is able to make every grace overflow so that in every way and always having everything you need that you may excel in every good work. It's almost redundant just a little bit later that you'll be rich in every way for all generosity and so on. It is everything. You can't compartmentalize life and say, well, this is the spiritual side and this is the more practical side or the the everyday life side as if those were separable. God is always involved in everything and will provide all that we need. If you want a couple of biblical examples, just think of Elijah. You know, in, in a time when he has spoken up for God and now he was hunted and, and there was just famine and there were drought and he had to hide and, and, and God still took care of him. Even having birds give stuff to him. And when that ran out, another way was, was there. Think about David. David, when, when, when he says in, in, in Psalms, you know, and, and some of us can relate to that, right? He says, I have been on, I have been young. <laughs> But now I'm old. Yet I've not seen the righteous abandoned or his children ever begging for bread. He is always generous. It's on and on again. Paul will speak about that in in Philippians where he says, I've tried to have nothing. I've tried to have everything. I could do everything in Christ who gives me power. That, friend, is the God that we are talking about when you talk about him being able to make us rich in every aspect of our lives, useful, full of opportunity. He will give you that you may excel. You hear this? Excel in every good deed. You want joy? That's the definition of these things. I wish I've had more time on looking at the clock to kind of unpack that there's so much richness in this correlation or overlap, if you will, of the spiritual life and the everyday practical life. But I'm going to kind of round it up with this and just say, I want you to look again in, in, in here in, in these verses. God has promised to meet all our needs. He will increase our resources. Just look at it right there. Give us everything that we need. Verse 10, multiply our seed. Increase our harvest. He will let your righteousness bear fruit, even generous fruits. Your service for him will be multiplied. He will call forth through you gratitude. That's what verse 12 is saying right here. Many expressions of thanks to God will come because of you. He will make you rich in every way. Verse 11. There's nothing more blessed than to give, Jesus says. It's true. 
Nice to get stuff. But to be the one who can give generosity, gratitude to someone else, to feel that come back is a hundred times better than to just receive. Being able to be that person is an expression of grace from God. So let me read just the last verse here again. Because of the proof by this ministry, they, they are the other Christians that are receiving, right? They will glorify God for your obedient confession of the gospel of Christ. And they will have deep affection because of your love and generosity. Friends, can we stand? Lord, you look straight to our hearts. Every one of us. And you know priorities, you know thoughts. What we ask you for. That you will instill in us. The kind of grace that you're expressing here. The awareness, the teaching, the knowledge. The practical outliving of your word. May it be that you look at this church, this gathering, those who are at home at this moment, looking in, participating from there. You will generate in us desire to be people who so generously, people who desire to reap generously. Lord, there's some here that that need to come to faith in you, to know what that even means, to be moved by your spirit in a way that someone can only be moved when they call you Lord and Savior. Call them forth, Father. Give them boldness to say, I'm here. I need Jesus. There's some that, that needs to find this fellowship where they can walk hand in hand, shoulder to shoulder with others. Call on them, Father, to come and say, hey, this is the place that God has called me to be part of. For those of us who are just going kind of into this place where things have become rot, you reinvigorate us. May we be moved to hear this text in a way that you want us to be moved and to act upon it. However you call upon us this morning, Lord, may it happen by the power of your spirit. Amen and amen. If you're here also as a visitor, there's a connect card right in in the pew in front of us. We want to pray with you. We want to share with you. We want to be part of your life as we hope you want to be part of ours. Let's sing.